Hey folks, Joyce Vance here. Abortion rights are making headlines this week after the Supreme Court rejected a request to block Texas's new restrictive abortion law from going into effect. That law, SB8, bans abortion once a heartbeat can be detected at around six weeks of gestation. Under current Supreme Court precedents, abortion is permitted up until around 24 weeks, which is when a fetus is considered viable outside the womb. In response to the court's decision, Speaker Nancy Pelosi announced that the House will soon consider legislation that would codify Roe v. Wade. Preet Bharara and I discuss all this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we're sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as a part of the insider community. How are you, Joyce? How was your Labor Day? I'm well. It was nice. It was sort of low-key. How about you? No, it was good. Restful, although I was preparing in earnest for the conversation we're going to have today. Before we get to that, we do have an important cafe announcement. Our friend, our colleague, Ellie Honig, has a new six-part podcast about what? The mob, the mafia. It's called Up Against the Mob. It premieres or launches or whatever the word is you want to use tomorrow, Wednesday, September 8th. You can get it wherever you get your podcasts. Up Against the Mob with Ellie Honig. And also, by the way, for, for Cafe Insiders, there's a special insider component every week, a bonus. So please check that out also. So we only have one subject to talk about today, and I'm sure folks can guess what it is. It's the Supreme Court action with respect to the abortion law in Texas. The Supreme Court thought that the plaintiffs, the abortion clinic providers, and and the doctors who sued in Texas, that they didn't identify the right defendants. And that's how we end up saying, well, constitutional protections don't really exist. It seems so otherworldly and so like the buildings are upside down that anybody who looks at it from the from the outside says, this is this is wrong. There is a constitutional protection on the books that somehow gets defeated by legal technicalities. And we should have a legal system that functions more in the light of day than this. In reality, right? We live in reality. It's just, you know, when you when you state the proposition the way that you and I have stated it, it is unconstitutional. Everyone agrees. There's a process by which over time and with proper deliberation and brief writing and oral argument that you can change that reality. You and I are are against changing that reality, but a lot of people are in favor of it. But that's different from what's happening here. And can I ask a a more sort of real-world question? Sure. Why on earth did the five justices do this? There's always this debate about whether or not they care about political effects and they care about the reputation of the court and they care about the institution. And maybe that's a reason why John Roberts, who presumably is pro-life, is on the other side of this as a procedural matter. But they must have known how much of an uproar would be created and how much harm would it have done to their long-term goals for abortion or anything else to simply do the normal, common sense, expected, right thing at this moment and uphold the status quo and later, you know, fully, openly, transparently, not with respect to the shadow docket, make whatever decision they're going to make about Roe. I actually don't understand why they did it this way, understanding how it would be received. 
So if you're a member of the community, it looks like this court is fulfilling its destiny, right? And they're making no bones about it. It's sort of like Kafka's gun. If you decline to give a preliminary injunction in Texas, well, then we probably know what you're going to do when Dobbs comes in front of the court next term. And the issue of whether Roe and Casey continue to be good laws squarely in front of you. Well, you know what's interesting about that and the fulfillment of destiny? Here's my other question. There is a subset of people in this country, including the legislators in Texas, who have been praying for the moment where Roe would be either formally overruled or effectively gutted. And we pointed out that's happened in Texas. And you would think that conservative commentators and anchors on Fox News would be celebrating and having parties because this is what they've been looking for year after year after year. And yet, not only are they not celebrating, the Supreme Court in its opinion here and other commentators are basically saying, hey, this is not a big deal. It's just procedural. Even though, as you and I know, procedural disputes and decisions have impacts on substantive rights. And it seems to me that some people have very smartly pointed out the reason there's not a celebration is even though there's a subset of people in this country who are ecstatic over this gutting of Roe v. Wade, they are worried about the backlash and they want to minimize this victory. And it is a victory for them. Mary Ziegler wrote in The Atlantic something very smart, that the majority in this case warned people not to overreact. And she writes further, quote, that the court pretended this wasn't about the fate of abortion rights tells us that the justices may be ready to strike down Roe v. Wade, but, this is the important part, but are less prepared for the havoc such a decision would wreak. And she also writes, the justices who allowed Texas's law to go into effect hardly seem to love the thought of that backlash. There was a report that Fox News barely covered this decision. You would think it would be, you know, music to the ears of a lot of listeners who think that the right to abortion should not be permitted. What's going on here? If you had a dog out in front of your house with the bulldozers prepared to knock it down and that dog was chasing cars, that's what happened to Republicans in Texas, right? They, they caught the car and they're not quite sure what to do. Are they going to create a backlash at the polls in 2022 and, and beyond because of this? This is maybe not the moment that they thought it would be. Anti-abortion activists want abortion to go away, but they don't want the political strife and fuss that goes along with it. But it's endlessly fascinating to me, not just the way that this bill was structured, that doesn't come close to holding people responsible for abortion in the way that these people think that they should be held accountable. To learn to be highly, highly unprincipled, disingenuous, and strategic with respect to how they crafted the law because they're playing the long game. And then at the same time, are not doing too much to celebrate because more, the more you celebrate the thing that you've been fighting for for decades, the more political opposition you're going to get. It's very odd that they're pretending this is not a big deal. They're accusing people on the other side, you know, pro-choice advocates of hysteria. There's no hysteria here. It is just the fact that Roe v. Wade has been gutted, at least for now, in Texas, and it's a harbinger of, of the ultimate decision on Roe. I want to say as a caveat, for, for, and you can join my caveat or not, you never know, never know what's going to happen when they deal with the, the substantive case. But boy, it is not hysteria to think the handwriting is on the wall. No, it's not. And, and just like in Shelby County versus Holder, the Supreme Court gutted the Voting Rights Act without actually tossing the whole thing out. 
I wonder if we won't see an outcome like that in Dobbs, where Roe will be essentially gutted, but Roe will technically still be good law. You know, maybe when you're looking at the Texas six-week ban as a possibility, the 15 weeks in the Mississippi law in Dobbs, which permits abortion up until 15 weeks, maybe that starts to look better. Maybe that's part of the strategy here. Maybe that will at least be part of what we see, um, this notion of, gee, women, you you should be grateful that we're not enforcing the six-week ban and that we're only going to do what Mississippi did in Dobbs. I have a lot of a, a lot of worry and a lot of anxiety about where this one heads. And I appreciate so much, Preet, that you've pointed out the notion that no one who was principled, who believed that abortion was murder, would be happy with the Texas statute. There's a certain amount of cynicism here that it's appropriate for us to engage in. And I don't really think we need to give folks the benefit of the doubt when they engage in this kind of legislation. Going back to the unsigned court's order. One paragraph unsigned order. One paragraph unsigned order. Just further what we were talking about a few minutes ago, sort of the downplaying of this decision as procedural as if that means there's nothing to see here, there's nothing to worry about, and there are no rights being abridged, all of which is wrong. The court, the majority, the five justice majority, says for what it's worth, and then you should tell folks about the dissents, quote, in reaching this conclusion, we stress that we do not purport to resolve definitively any jurisdictional or substantive claim in the applicant's lawsuit. And they say this because they sort of have to, but it's interesting that they chose to emphasize it. In particular, this order is not based on any conclusion about the constitutionality of Texas's law and in no way limits other procedurally proper challenges to the Texas law, including in Texas state courts, end quote. Fair? Mm-mm-mm. So our friend Melissa Murray, I think, had a great tweet. Melissa said, procedural rules and rulings have substantive implications. The court's procedural ruling, she put that in quotes, allowed a law that is substantively unconstitutional to go into effect, effectively negating Roe. And I think that's a great way of talking about the dissents here. There was actually a dissent written by each of the four justices in the minority I'm very interested in Justice Sotomayor's dissent and Justice Kagan's dissent. They're the two sort of goalposts on this field. Sotomayor is the outrage part of the spectrum. She calls the decision stunning. She points out that the justices have buried their heads in the sand to the denial of abortion rights. Kagan takes a different approach, though. She focuses on the shadow docket and the notion of hypocrisy. And she views this as a very hypocritical ruling by the majority. I think it's interesting that Kagan, as you pointed out when we started this conversation, becomes, I think, the first justice to ever acknowledge that the shadow docket is being discussed, at least among legal academics, by that name. And she talks about how it has become emblematic of too much of the court's decision-making, which is particularly problematic because now the court is using the shadow docket in a way where it's telling the lower courts, you know, this is our binding precedent. You have to follow it. But there's no written opinion, no disseminated reasoning for those lower courts to follow. And so between those two dissents, we get a good sense of both outrage but also practically that this is not the way the law works. What did you see in the dissents that you liked the most? Well, I don't know what I liked the most. I thought it was interesting that everyone chose to go on record with a signed opinion. What's kind of interesting to me is that Justice Roberts wrote, 
and you know probably disappointed a lot of conservatives. And I, and I think back to the vote, as people may remember, I was in the Senate and worked on the confirmation hearing of Justice Roberts, and this seems to be consistent with the kind of way he talked about modesty, judicial modesty, and not everyone will agree with what I'm saying, but in this opinion, he says, in, in less strident language than the justices you just mentioned, he says very simply, quote, I would grant preliminary relief to preserve the status quo ante, meaning before the law went into effect, so that the courts may consider whether a state can avoid responsibility for its laws in such a manner, meaning this crazy, wacko, you know, arguably BS scheme to have individuals sue and government officials out of the process, that's kind of wackadoodle, you know, sort of interpreting what the justice is saying, the chief justice is saying. That's kind of wackadoodle. Why don't we take a moment, not do anything crazy, not let that go into effect until we determine whether or not it is in fact wackadoodle. That seems to be eminently reasonable and should be reasonable to people who are either pro-abortion, anti-abortion, pro-Roe v. Wade, anti-Roe v. Wade. I think it's just sort of inexorably logical to do what he said and the other justices said should be done, as we discussed at the beginning. You know, he picked up Justice Breyer and Justice Kagan, who joined in this dissent. Justice Sotomayor did not join. And although I think that you're correct that this is eminently the the right restrained judicial approach in this sort of a situation. I wonder if the reason Sotomayor didn't join is because of the last clause of that sentence that you read, where Roberts was willing to consider whether a state can avoid responsibility for its laws, quote, in such a manner by creating this private action mechanism. It seems to me that Sotomayor has gone on record by saying, no way, no how, can't do it. So I guess, Joyce, we should talk about what happens next. This case will continue to proceed. The Dobbs case will continue to proceed. There are actions being suggested and look like they will be undertaken by the Congress. People should remember, just a reminder to everyone, if and when Roe actually gets struck down, that doesn't mean that abortion becomes illegal everywhere. It means it goes back to the states. And in some states, like California and New York and others, the right to to abortion will continue to be a right that people have. And in other states, like Texas and Louisiana and Alabama, it won't be. So what is the potential solution to this? Well, some people are advocating for, and I think Nancy Pelosi, the Speaker of the House, has said there will be a vote on national federal legislation basically codifying the standards of Roe and giving everyone the right to Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. And to the many of you who've chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. Mm-hmm.